Hey folks, Zach Ostrom here, you insider Indianapolis Star. Uh, this is my Your Banners for Friday, November 11th, 2022, what may well be the last reasonably warm day of the calendar year. Uh, across from me today is not Dustin DePirac. Unfortunately, Dustin, we did, a, I, I swear we cut a podcast with Dustin after the, uh, the Penn State loss, the, the, the football game, and um, he said his goodbyes, and then that podcast got lost in the ether, possibly, because we knew none of you could uh, take the the pain and sadness of seeing Dustin leave the beat for a second time. Uh, actually, I think a third time, technically. Um, so we're going to bring in Tyler Jackman. Tyler, uh, everyone will know Tyler well. He has been part of our team all year long now uh, through football, now getting into basketball. And uh, Tyler, this, is, this isn't this is your first Mind Your Banners. I think it may be your first like non-post-game Mind Your Banners. Is that right? Yeah, was the, I think we did one after, was it the Maryland game maybe? Was that a technical yeah, one of the football games, we were gazing longingly at the uh, the beer and the fridge and the luxury suite where we were uh, recording it and, uh, you know, restraining ourselves from taking some free Upland. Um, I, I will say that I'm no Dustin, so just I'm well, just gonna... trust me. No, one, trust me. No one is. Um, we're going to focus on basketball today. Indiana starts two and oh, a couple of routine wins. I mean. Give them credit for covering, you know, I mean, whether you follow Vegas, Ken Palm, Torvik, Indiana, outperform those expectations, certainly against Bethune-Cookman on Thursday night in particular. Um, Indiana, their, their national rankings have not changed because those rankings won't be updated until the Monday of the, the second week of the season. They are up to eighth uh, in Ken Palm nationally. They are up to, as I pull it up here, I can you can tell I am so prepared, also up to eighth in um, in Bart Torvik's rankings, same thing. Again, we don't want to draw too many conclusions from these first two games, but I think what you what you get, Tyler, is you know bits and pieces, fragments that you just sort of pin to a wall and sort of say, you know, will this stay consistent? Will this still hold true once the opponent, the caliber of the opponent, really ticks up? Um, Indiana's, to be fair to them, put a lot of those fragments on the wall. They've they've given you a lot to like and a lot to think about here through the first two games of the season. Yeah, I would say basically with the sample size we've been given, there's a lot of encouraging things. Um, You know, like you said, you know, it's it's probably not smart to draw big picture conclusions. I think we'll learn a lot more about this team when we see here, but. I think there are a lot of encouraging signs and and they've probably looked about as good as you could have possibly wanted with with what we've seen. Um, and, and one of the things Thursday uh, against Bethune Cooking was the three-point shooting. And it, it was one of those things where it was one game, it was against uh, an opponent that Indiana should have blown out. But I think the fact that you kind of saw that that shooting materialize, and that's something that has kind of been a, a dark cloud over the program the last few seasons. So just to see the shots go in, to know that Indiana can shoot well from deep, and, and that's what I'm writing about now, basically the three-point shooting and free-throw shooting. And as I was kind of working through it, um, one of the things that stood out to me was that you have these lineups in there with, uh, Geronimo and Malik Renew basically is out of his front court. Both of them hit a three um, on Thursday. If you go back a few years ago, IU had lineups where they had Trace Jackson Davis, Joey Brunk, and Justin Smith. They had three guys that weren't threats really at all to shoot from three. 
And now you could potentially have a lineup where you have all five guys on the floor that can make a three. So I think when you kind of talk about getting more aligned with the modern game, more aligned with a potential, potentially high-flying offense, which is something Indiana hasn't really been accustomed to. But those are kind of like you were saying, those little indications of this could be good signs for Indiana down the road. Yeah, I mean, to start there, because I, I, I don't think there's necessarily one thread. I think, again, you just kind of take these these two games and just take the big chunks out of them and wonder how much they matter. To start with three-point shooting and, and offense more broadly, Indiana is shooting 40, uh, 40% on threes through two games. As you, I think you, you spit the numbers out there, but four of 11 against Moorhead State, 10 of 24 last night, so 14 of 45 so far this season. Um I think, you know, I, I, I would not expect Indiana to be a 40% three-point shooting team all season. I would not expect Indiana to be a team that routinely hits double-digit threes, though if they are, then certainly we probably need to reevaluate what we think about this team's offense. Um, but I, I would say a couple of things. Number one, if you can just put a couple of these 10 of 24, 11 of 25 type performances in early in the season – then at least teams recognize, A, you're willing to take some threes, and B, while maybe you're not going to hit them every night and maybe there are going to be some nights where it's 6 of 25, not 10 of 25, you've got the capacity to do it, and they've got to respect it at a, excuse me, at a level that they, they didn't necessarily have to last year, the year before, not just because Indiana couldn't make threes, but because Indiana wouldn't take threes. And so I think that's part of it, and I've banged that drum, and I know some people disagree with me, and that's fine. Um, but I think you've at least got to show a willingness to to take those shots. And then the other part of it, too, is the quality of these three-pointers. The, the number of these three-pointers where it's coming in the flow of the offense, whether that's the half-court offense, it's the break offense, it's the secondary break offense. You know, it's, it's not necessarily the sort of, I think you and I talked about this on our post-game video last night, the sort of, you know, turgid, sort of stale, Everybody's got to come down the floor, set up, throw the ball into Trace Jackson Davis because you've only really got one guy that can break a defense down off the dribble. And so he's going to get, you know, hard hedged on every screen. He's not just going to be able to get in the lane at will. So you've got to go into the post to start collapsing the defense. And then the ball's got to come back and go around. And basically you've got too many guys that essentially have to be stationary through the course of the offense. This team is more dynamic. Again, whether it's on the break, I mean, and, and they scored against uh, Bethune-Cookman, 33 fast break points, which is very, very good. Or it's in the half court because you've suddenly got Jalen Huchifino in this mix as well. Tamar Bates looks better. It surprised me. I was putting together the plus-minus numbers last night. Tamar Bates has the second-best plus-minus on this team for two games. Um, Trey Galloway can get in the lane. We saw that development at the end of last season that has kind of advanced this season. The point is – when we talk about three-point shooting, I think it's it's valid to talk about it within the context of the bigger picture of an offense that frankly looks more fluid, more dynamic, and just more confident in the sense that more guys can create shots for one another, more guys can disrupt a defense with the ball in their hands, there are more ways for Indiana to start moving bodies around and create mismatches and mistakes, and that's what leads to – and then, and then frankly, too – you got more good passers, which means Miller Cobb's getting the ball in the shooting pocket. He's not he's not catching it at his knees. He's catching it right where he needs to to put the shot up immediately. And if it's not Miller Cobb, it's Xavier Johnson, it's Trey Galloway, it's whoever. 
it just looks like, I mean, there is a confidence to this offense that I don't think was there a year ago. And we heard these guys talking all offseason about we we worked harder on shooting. We're more comfortable with Mike Woodson's system and what he wants to do and his wrinkles and his X's and O's. All these And we got Jalen Huchifino and he this guy's better and this guy's better. In practice, though, you can see that now through these first two games. You can see a, a, a tangible difference in what they're doing. I think everything you were kind of hitting there goes towards the idea that at least up to what we've seen at this point in the season, I don't think you can take one person, one player away from this team for whatever reason it would be. And that all of a sudden things would fall apart. It, it feels like this is a, a sum of parts. It's not where, you know, there were times last season it was overly relying on Trace Jackson Davis. It was times last season where, it was over, overly relying on what, especially towards the end of the season, is basically what can Xavier Johnson create for himself and create for others. It doesn't feel like this season, at least up to this point, and I'm, I'm going to keep hammering that caveat because it is a small sample size, but you can't take one piece away and the team is going to fall apart. It seems like everyone is kind of filling in their specific role, and I think that goes back to the point of the depth we've seen of that in Thursday's game, in the first half, it seemed like that second unit was was playing better than the starters. Um, and it, it really does seem like Indian almost has two first units by the way that they've been playing. Um, but this this doesn't feel like a team that is overly reliant on Trey Jackson Davis. That's overly reliant on Xavier Johnson. Um, it feels like a a very it feels like a team with a very good player on it, not like a team carried by a player. I think, I mean, I, I and, and this is, you know, you and I, as, as Dustin would say, shamelessly plugging uh, here what we've written in the last 24 hours. But what I wrote last night was I thought that was indicative of the fact that you felt like two of the most influential players on the floor were Johnson and Huchifino. Between them, they only scored 15 points. They were only three of 11 from the field. Um, Huchifino missed all five of his three-point attempts, but they had nine rebounds, 14 assists, just five turnovers, three steals, and they were a combined plus 55. And there was this sense, you know, I mean, like one of the things Mike Woodson said about Xavier Johnson in, in the preseason here that I think is stuck with me most is, is the extent to which he's had to help John hell help Xavier Johnson understand how much less he has to do this season, because to your point, and it worked to be fair, it worked well enough to get that team to a big 10 tournament semifinal within a hair's breadth of the big 10 tournament championship game and into the NCAA tournament for the first time in six years. So let's not act like it was a failure but there was a ceiling on even Indiana's best last year because it was basically just so predicated on Trace Jackson Davis and Xavier Johnson. And if those two guys weren't playing really, really well and really, really well in tandem, then Indiana struggled to find other offensive outlets. And I think that was borne out by the fact that you could, with your eyes, see Indiana was playing better down the stretch last season, but they still lost at home to Wisconsin and Rutgers. They still lost a potentially winnable game on the road in the season finale at Purdue. They still lost a game they were leading in the Big Ten tournament semifinal against Iowa, in part because Iowa just had more dudes that could get buckets and more ways to score in key moments. And I'm, as I've said throughout this podcast, I'm not going to anoint this team yet. Do I think they have like the potential to be one of the top 10 teams in the country? Yes, possibly. I would also remind people, and I do this annually, if you're the number nine team in the country, you're a three seed in the NCAA tournament. So don't get overly excited about what, you know, being a top 10 team means. It doesn't mean you are 
the tournament favorite. It just means you're a good, a very good team. I think they have that potential. And the reason I think one of the reasons and you hit on it there, why I think they have that potential is it doesn't feel like they're overly reliant on anybody. Trace Jackson Davis had 21 and six last night on 10 shots. And you, I don't want to say he didn't notice he was on the floor. He had some nice moments, but your eyes were drawn to other things. They were drawn to Jalen Huchifino's eight assists and Xavier Johnson's six assists. They were drawn to Miller Cop hitting four threes. They were drawn to Jordan Geronimo looking really smooth with that jumper in the second unit. They were drawn to the second unit just in general. You bring it up there like three games in a row now, if you include exhibitions, where some of Indiana's biggest plus minus players were second unit guys. Malik Renew plus 24. Jordan Geronimo plus 22, Trey Galloway plus 31, Tamar Bates plus 30. It's, you know, listen, they're not, we're never going to get to a point in the season where we would say some, you know, we would even say tongue in cheek, like could Indiana beat the Sixers? But for a team that was so easy to pigeonhole last year, even when it was playing well at times, you do feel like suddenly between the improvement of that second line, as you said, and some of the guys they brought in and the load that that has taken off of the guys that they counted on so heavily last year, you feel like Indiana is a much trickier proposition on paper for opposing teams. Yeah. To your point about Trace Jackson Davis, I mean, that was maybe the quietest 21 point performance I've ever seen. Like it, it felt like things weren't forced, you know, it, it felt like he was fitting into the puzzle piece of of what everybody else was doing. And and I guess there's two things that I'm among the things that I'm looking for as we kind of continue the season on is one, what's going to happen when Indiana faces some adversity. We really have not seen them face adversity at this season, this season, uh, see them be put, put in a tough situation. You know, the two pre exhibition games and uh, the, the first two regular season games Indiana has gone by fairly easily what happens when things start going wrong. And the second is, can Indiana close out games? Because there were so many times last season where Indiana was, you know, ra- razor close to, to closing out a game and wasn't able to do so, whether you look at Ohio State, Syracuse, um, at Purdue, you know, those are just some of the examples. Um, Rutgers at home, you know, there were so many times where, Indiana wasn't able to close out the games. I'm looking who who's going to be the closer. Like who is there going to be someone that can be that Mariano Rivera for you know baseball reference? Can can someone be the uh, Mariano Rivera of this IU team? Like who who is going to step up and be able to make those plays late late in the game? Because um, I think that kind of is going to those little things are really going to what separate Indiana from being a good team and being a great team, especially when you start playing some, you know, some of this better competition like Arizona, Kansas, UNC, Xavier. And and I'm also interested to see against this, against Xavier that, you know, it took a while for Indiana to really break through on the road last season. You know, this, if they can win at Xavier and was probably going to be a really tough environment. Like to me, that's an indication that they're ahead of far ahead of schedule of what they were last season and kind of speaking to, the strides they've made in, in where they are in their development already compared to how long it kind of took to get to that point last season. I think that, you know, I think that's a fair question. And I think, you know, I think the, you know, the one thing I'd say is, I mean, you make the Mariano Rivera comparison there. I, I, I think good for good teams, there's not just one way you win those games. 
Um, I think it was, I mean, obviously people should have been encouraged in Indiana, for example, hit 21 of 22 free throws last night because free throws are one of those things where we tend to focus on the ones where, you know, Indiana doesn't hit the free throws that could ice the game in the last minute, but a coach is probably going to focus on the seven they missed in the previous 19 minutes of the second half that if they, if they'd even hit three of those seven, then the game would already have been put away. And a 21 of 22 is obviously more accurate than this team's probably going to be. There were 12 of 21 uh, against Moorhead State. But if you are more consistently knocking those down, you know, you narrow the margins. There are some weapons here. I mean, Xavier Johnson, we know he can get to the rim. We know he can hit free throws. Jalen Michafino's mid-range jumper is, is something Indiana's not had since Armand Franklin was last healthy and wearing an Indiana uniform. Um, you know, you, you suddenly feel like you've got more guys that can knock down, maybe not the game winning three as time expires. But again, when you talk about the dynamics of close games, sometimes it's not about getting the bucket when you're down one and there are 10 seconds left. Sometimes it's about Jordan Geronimo hitting the, the, I mean, I'm thinking about it last year and I'm not picking on Xavier Johnson because he was so important to Indiana down the stretch last season, but I'm recalling that game against uh, against uh, Wisconsin, where Xavier Johnson got a kick out free, was wide open, and he just missed it. And if he makes that three, decent chance Indiana wins that game. And that three was with like maybe a minute and a half, minute 45 to go, but it would have spaced it out. It would have spaced the lead enough that suddenly Wisconsin doesn't have quite enough time to get it back. And so it's it's not just thinking, I think, about the who hits the game-winning shot, who hits the game-winning free throws. It's also about the possibility that you got more guys that can create and more guys that can score the bucket that basically basically means you can't or you don't need to hit the game-winning shot. You don't need to hit the buzzer beater because you made two free throws and you hit the open three that meant in the last 30 seconds your opponent was down nine instead of down five or whatever. That math does not add up. You would have five points if you hit two free throws and a three-pointer. But you get what I'm saying. And I think that that's where this team, like, I, I agree that, like, for example, like Jalen Hitchafino's mid-range jumper, I think is going to win Indiana a game at some point this season. I don't know when or where, but I think it's going to. Um, but at the same time, I, I also just wonder if if this team is so much more diverse offensively as we think it might be than it was last season, you're going to have the ability to answer Johnny Davis going nuts in the last five minutes against Wisconsin or you're going to have the ability to answer Jordan Bohannon going nuts in the last three minutes against Iowa. And so maybe suddenly it's not even about hitting that game winning shot. It's about being able to ride enough of that adversity that you score the basket. That means you don't need the game winner. And, and I think that's, or you hit the free throws that mean you don't need the game winner, whatever it is. And that's where I just, I wonder if, if Indiana's maybe between the guys that can create, like that's a, that's not an insignificant part of it. Indiana basically had one genuine creative outlet last year in Xavier Johnson, Rob Finnessy could give it to you in fits and spurts. Trey Galloway had moments as the season wore on. He was also banged up by the end of the season. Um, but it feels like there's three or four guys on this team now that can do that. Plus you got multiple bigs that can pass the ball really well. So if you do need to go back to that sort of dump it in the post, see what you get, and then kick it back out lineup. You've got Malik Renew, Trace Jackson Davis, even Ray Thompson are very good passers. I just think maybe it's possible Indiana's basically not going to put itself in so many of those situations where it needs that absolute slam the door closing moment. 
I think it's interesting you brought up Armand Franklin because I had mentioned this before where I felt like Indiana really lacked him or really missed him last season after he left. I, you know, they, it didn't feel like there was a guard or wing that could really do what he did and that he could score on all three levels. To a certain extent, he could create for others. He was a really good defender who could play, you know, play on both sides of the floor. And so then he, he obviously transfers to Virginia. And the closest thing that Indiana really had to that on a consistent basis last season was Xavier Johnson. And he was inconsistent at times. Um, he, he wasn't the same type of player Armand Franklin uh, was. But I felt like Indiana really lacked that kind of do-it-all guard or wing because um, you had Miller Cop and Parker Stewart, who at times struggled defensively, pretty much needed someone else to create the shot for them. Um, and I feel like th- there was yeah, there's just too much emphasis emphasis on Z- um, on Xavier Johnson having to make plays, and you lack that guard or wing that could that had that versatility. And I feel like this season we're seeing potentially multiple guys that can do that and, and fill that hole. You know, Jalen Hinchafino, it's crazy how Indiana's regular starting five from last season is the exact same this season except one player, and that's putting Jalen Hinchafino in. And it feels like a totally different dynamic just because of what he can provide. Um, you know, he can he can play on both ends of the floor. He can create for others. Uh, he didn't shoot the ball well from three uh, on Thursday, but – um, you know, his, his mid-range in general over over what we've seen has looked really good. Um, and then if you look at Trey Gallup, he can start making threes. He's he's largely had a lot of success in his IU career slashing and creating for others. But if you talk about him adding three-point shot into his game, then that, that kind of adds another dynamic aspect that he can play off of. And, um, you know, I, I think that there are multiple guys now when you look at this roster um, – that can potentially be that kind of versatile do it all on both ends of the floor, not necessarily pigeonholed into one specific role, which is kind of going back to what we're saying about um, Indiana, just having guys that can do a wide variety of things, um, just more versatility, uh, more depth, um, just overall, you know, I would, simply, I guess, kind of put it just, it's more exciting basketball when you have guys that can do a bunch of different things. To back up your point, um, two years ago, Armand Franklin shot 40.7% on two-point jumpers. This is per hoop math. Last year, Xavier Johnson shot 27.8% on two-point jumpers. It's a very small sample size. Jalen Huchifino's three of three so far on what hoop math refers to as, or, or regards as a two-point jump shot. Um, I think there's something else that's interesting, and I do want to talk a little bit about this team defensively. And again, listen, these are all small sample sizes. It's not just who Indiana's played, but just the fact that Indiana's played, you know, less than one fifteenth of its full schedule. So take all of that accordingly. Um, but to your point about Indiana playing more fun basketball, it's, you know, the thing about you can't just say, let's, let's go play more fun basketball. You, you've got to play, you've got to be able to play a certain way. You've got to be able to play at a certain pace. You've got to be able to sort of, there's got to be a certain synergy about your teams on the floor. I think you, you referenced earlier how noticeable it is, not just the starters who you're not surprised by the synergy they have, 
but that bench and how good they look together and how well they operate together. Basically the, the, basically there's the starting four and the bench four, and then Xavier Johnson and Jalen Huchifino acting as kind of a bridge between the two of them, just depending on how Mike Woodson wants to kind of parse out their minutes. Um, but something else that, that somebody pointed out to me today, uh, Matt Marston, good friend of the podcast, Indiana is 39th nationally right now, according to Ken Pomeroy, an average possession length. Um, on average, the Indiana's possessions are taking 14.8 seconds. Last season, the average Indiana possession lasted 17.5 seconds. That was 176th nationally, or, or basically dead middle of the road. Um I don't expect that number to fully last. I, I expect that once Indiana gets into Big Ten season, things are going to slow down a little bit, and you know things are going to are, are not going to move quite so quickly. Um, you know, I mean, Indiana, you could argue played pretty fast the last time it won a Big Ten title in 2016. That team still finished 115th nationally in pace. But if you go back to the 2013 team, the 2012 team finished 82nd per Ken Pomeroy in average possession length. The 2013 team finished 10th. And I bring those up, not necessarily to say, oh, Indiana is going to win a Big Ten title or Indiana is going to be a number one overall seed. I bring it up more to say there's a possibility that this is the deepest in terms of just pure skill and talent. This is the deepest roster Indiana's had certainly since at least 2016, possibly since 2013. And if you want to play fast like that, but you're going to win while doing it, you're going to succeed while doing it. You're not just playing fast for the sake of playing fast and you're going to commit a bunch of turnovers and take a bunch of bad shots, then that's, that is, that pace is going to reflect your skill level as much as it reflects your intent to, to quote unquote, play fast. I love Mike Woodson's quote the other night. He said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, I've never been a part of a team that didn't want to play faster. I've never been a part of a team that did not want to be faster offensively and get out and transition and create because you can transition offense is very nearly always more efficient and more effective than half court offense for obvious reasons. The point is if you want to play that fast, but you want to be efficient and you want to be successful in doing it, then your pace is not really going to be a factor of your system. It's going to be a factor of your skills. And if, this team is as good as it looks through these two games, even accepting this the, the competitive level it's faced, then that pace number, I think, reflects your point a little bit too, that this is a fun team. It's a team that's playing attractive basketball, but it's doing that because it's just, it's good enough to. It's not doing that because Mike Woodson said, okay, I'm taking the handbrakes off now. Last year, I was just having you guys run a slow, dull, boring offense, but now we're going to have fun. It's that there's more ball handlers. There's more creativity. There's more guys that can stretch a defense. You know, one thing you and I talked about, I think, off camera last night was the extent, maybe we talked about it on camera, I don't remember, the extent to which Indiana's offense, part of the problem was that Xavier Johnson was the only guy that could break it down off the dribble. Another part of the problem was that basically everybody else other than Trace Jackson Davis kind of had to stand around to wait for the ball to be effective. You had two guys in Parker Stewart and Miller cop that you needed to start because they were your most effective shooters. And because there wasn't necessarily other than maybe Trey Galloway and spurts, somebody off the bench that really warranted starting over either of those two guys. But then suddenly you had two guys that basically weren't going to move except sort of drifting to space without the ball yeah, Trace Jackson Davis, who was going to need to be around the rim to create, you know, to, to attract attention and create space and possibly go for lobs or rebounds. And then Race Thompson became a little bit more of kind of a, 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 a 
you know, sort of a, a free rider, if you want to say, just kind of allowed to freelance just a little bit more. But suddenly you've got an offense where the ball and the bodies are moving so much more, whoever's on the floor, that you're creating more of these good opportunities. When you're out in transition, you've got more athletes, you've got more explosiveness, you've got more creativity. All of that lends itself to, I think, the kind of team you're talking about seeing, again, through these first two games and, and the exhibitions as well, just a team that is 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 comfortable and therefore confident in playing at a, a, a starkly different pace offensively. I'm interested to see how this will hold up when Indiana starts playing better defense defenses. I don't think going to the two exhibitions, the two regular season games, Indiana hasn't really played a juggernaut defensively. So, um, you know, I, I want to see how as we get towards the Big, big Ten schedule, the, the tougher non-conference games, how that, how that holds up. Can Indiana continue to kind of walk the tightrope of playing fast but under control? And I think that is basically the genesis of, of what Xavier Johnson found out how to do towards the end of last season is he found out how to play aggressively and fast but not out of control. And I think that same lesson is something that Indiana – is going to have to carry over as a whole of this season because, you know, if there was some negatives to take out of Thursday, it was that Indiana started the game off offensively pretty bad. They were taking some bad shots. They were forcing things. Um, but then Cookman was in a zone that was giving them some trouble. And I wouldn't be shocked to see other teams go zone against IU um, at some points the rest of the season. So basically, we'd be surprised if Xavier would. We know the Miller brothers; they 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 play the pack line man to man. That is what they do. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm interested to see if basically can IU avoid those types of spurts against really good defenses um, as the season goes on? Because I, I mean, I was a little bit concerned by the way Indiana started the game offensively. They looked out of sorts against a defense that wasn't very good that threw that zone look at him. So, um, yeah, I think it's encouraging basically the pace. And I think one of the other things I uh, mentioned yesterday was just the multiplicity in ways that IU scored. It wasn't just in the paint. It wasn't just three-pointers. It wasn't just in transition. Um, it was a bunch of those things. So it wasn't like I don't think Indiana necessarily needed to rely on the half-court offense. They also didn't need to rely on the transition. It was a, it was a combination of, of those things. It's you know, a balance that is much more sustainable for consistent success um, rather than having to rely on going 100 miles an hour all the time or, you know, waiting till there's five seconds left on the shot clock to shoot. So I'm, you know, I think what we've seen so far is encouraging um, as we get toward, you know, Carolina, for instance, um, I think will present some really big challenges for Indiana. You have a guy like Leaky Black, um, who has great length, probably one of the best defenders in the country. You know, I, I don't know exactly who he'd be guarding, but, you know, if he's guarding um, – Jalen Michafino, that's going to be quite the task, um, or, or Xavier Johnson, just to have that length on him. Um, so when, when Indiana starts those matchups where there's more disruptive defenders, um, I'm interested to see kind of how, how they'll respond to that. 
I think that the, the one other thing, and we got about five minutes left, to, but this is something that that I think ties into that as sort of basically how does Indiana respond to some of that is the bench and is is that reserve group. And, you know, you have written about it some already this season. I've written about it some already this season. These are imperfect measures. But like when you, for example, look back at Indiana last season, if you take the Kim Palm numbers as, as you know, trustworthy and worthwhile, Indiana's top four players in terms of offensive rating last season were regular starters uh, in order. Trace Jackson Davis, Race Thompson, Xavier Johnson, Parker Stewart. Um, Jordan Geronimo was fifth. Miller Cop was sixth. So five of Indiana's six most effective offensive players, if you want, if you follow Ken Palm's formulas. And that's a bit of a blunt object way of thinking about this, but I don't think it's it's I don't think it's totally misplaced. If you follow that process, basically five of your top six offensive threats were starters. Um, now it's early in the season to be making those comparisons, you know, to, to to Indiana numbers get really skewed. Like until yesterday, Caleb Banks had an assist rate in like the 56%, you know, like 56% assist rate or something. Um, but we can see with our eyes. I mean, we talked, I, I talked earlier about how the plus minus is actually skewed toward the bench. The last, you know, the first two games of the season, even going back to the second exhibition game, we've seen Malik Renu look so good. Um, you know, Jalen Huchifino and Xavier Johnson, I think, have been really good sort of bridge heads between those two lineups. Um, Jordan Geronimo's had some really, really good moments. Logan Duncan here and there. Tamar Bates has had some good moments. Trey Galloway. I mean, quietly, like one of the things that Indiana fans probably need to be excited about is that Trey Galloway looks like he's got a decent three-point shot on him. I'm not saying he's going to shoot 45%, but like it's going to be, it's at least going to be enough that I think teams may have to respect it this year. And for a guy who's really good off the shot fake and dribble drive, that can be very dangerous very quickly. The point is when you looked at Indiana's team last year, by the end of last season, Mike Woodson had tightened up his rotations a little bit and when Indiana went to that bench, it often felt like they were just sort of trying to survive. And they were trying almost to just defend their way through the stretches where the bench would be on the floor because they knew they weren't going to score a ton of points. And all they were trying to do was just bridge bridge the gap back to the starting five where your biggest threats were. And that's probably still, you, you know, your, your starting five is probably still going to be the guys that if, if you want to see it this way, quote unquote, like win you games most nights in terms of if you say, who are your leading scorers? Who are your best players? Who are your team MVPs on any given night? More often than not, it's probably still going to come from that starting five group. But that bench four of Bates, Galloway, Geronimo, and, and Renew with maybe one or two, a Duncan or a CJ gun sprinkled in at times, that core four has shown a real ability offensively, defensively, rebounding the ball, driving the ball, forcing the ball in transition, playing above the rim, all those different kinds of things to change games and, and to, to, to not just come in and sort of like, okay, we're going to get you back to the starting five, but come in and really change the game. And when you look at their skill sets, you got multiple guys who can drive the ball. You got multiple guys who potentially can at least shoot the three enough that you got to respect it a little bit. You got two very different kinds of forwards. So you, it's not hard to play Malik Renew and Jordan Geronimo together for a four or five minute stretch. They'll play those positions differently. And if you pair them to a really good point guard, and Indiana may well have two of them, then suddenly that group becomes a weapon. And that's, you know, we talked about this in the offseason, the preseason. Indiana's ceiling was probably going to have to be raised by that group because you felt like you knew a lot about 
that starting five. Now, if Miller cops a more effective three-point shooter, that raises the ceiling. Jalen Hushafina was always a wild card, of course. But through two games plus the two exhibitions where the bench has been really good in all four, you feel like that group believes it can collectively, individually and collectively, make a difference. We got like two minutes left, so I'll give you the last word on this. But I, I think that that does kind of tie into the back end of what you were talking about earlier of how you basically respond against better teams in more adverse situations. Yeah, I'll finish with this. And basically, it feels like, you know, from the – I have not been covering the team as long as you have. So um, my context is smaller than yours. But it felt like, especially Archie Miller's, what ended up being his last year coaching, it felt like Indiana was a team with a bunch of puzzle pieces that – never could quite fit together. And I think last season there were times where that felt like the case as well. And this season up to this up to this point from what we've seen, it feels like this is a bunch of puzzle pieces that can work together and can fit together in a in a cohesive unit. So um you know I just I feel like their ability to um create a cohesive team, not not just a really good player, not a team with a really good player, not a, not a team with two really good players, but to be a good team, if that makes sense. Can't find the mute button. And and to just sort of like make the, you know, make it so that the, the transition from the first five to the second five, there's not as much fall off and, and the defense is still good. The rebounding is still good. The threats to score are still there because not a lot of teams are going to have that. Not a lot of teams, if Indiana does have a legit four-man bench, not a lot of teams have a legit four-man bench. Even at the top end of college basketball, a lot of teams are still a little bit, you know, maybe they go seven deep, maybe eight. Nine is is pretty deep. And for the way Indiana wants to play, it could really help Indiana in some of these moments. And I think also in, you know, kind of the, the aggregate of maybe if not everybody has to play so many minutes in a night, then you've got fresher legs in February and March and you're closing more of those games. And all this stuff starts to synergize and come together. We'll finish there. Again, you don't want to make too much of it. It's 2-0. It's an expected 2-0. Indiana looked good, but they needed to look good against these teams. They have the week off to play Xavier a week from tonight. Again, we talk on Friday, November 11th. Tyler and I will be there until then. We'll, we'll, we'll come back and talk next week. We'll do a Mind Your Banners midweek next week. Maybe we'll get Chronic back on here. Until then, for Tyler Tackman, I'm Zach Osterman. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.